Hello, and welcome to Out of My Mind in Costa Rica, where we talk about all things related to post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress. This means the content of this podcast can be graphic, and if you suffer from PTSD or complex PTSD, keep in mind you could become triggered. If that happens, stop the podcast immediately and take care of yourself. You can always come back and listen later. I'm the guinea pig here, and it is my life I examine on Out of My Mind in Costa Rica. It is my hope that my trials and tribulations, successes and failures, will somehow compel you to examine your life and discover your gifts. Socrates exclaimed, A life unexamined is a life not worth living. This is a call to action for all of us. As a clinical social worker, this was my trade, my vocation. From personal experience, I can tell you, without a doubt, that what you don't know can hurt you. My entire life, I have been compelled to support and encourage people to grow, to boldly look within and courageously examine their lives. Shine your light onto those dark spaces, and the solutions you seek will reveal themselves. Now sit down, relax, and listen. The out of my mind and close to me. Hello and welcome to Out of My Mind in Costa Rica. I'm Ray Erickson and today we're going to talk about PTSD triggers, post-traumatic stress disorder triggers. Now if you have post-traumatic stress disorder, you know what I'm talking about. If you are a, a loved one of someone with post-traumatic stress disorder, you know what I'm talking about. Triggers are explosive events that are mainly designed by our brains to keep us alive at a point in time when our, our brain thinks that we are, are going to experience undue pain or, or, or abandonment or, or loss of life and friendship. It's, it's, it's a feeling that is so vulnerable. Anyway, I will get back into that later on. Um, I'm also going to be talking with you about how these triggers come on, how they affect you, and, of course, what you can do about it. Triggers. What are they? Well, there are a lot of things. Uh, triggers can be almost anything ranging from a certain sound to a smell to a person, a place, a thing, uh, a memory, a thought. Triggers can be almost anything. So what they, it's not so much that the trigger is there that causes the problem because everybody walks through life and, and we're triggered on a, on a regular basis, but n not everybody has the, the degree of distress uh, that occurs when they are triggered as people with PTSD. I've uh, given you some articles in the description of today's episode. They have a, uh, a lot of really, really, really good information if you want to know more about this. Uh, as usual, I'm going to be using myself as the, the guinea pig, and we are going to uh, look at my triggers. Feeling overwhelmed, vulnerable, abandoned, or out of control. All of these are sensations of experiences of vulnerability. 
and the trigger is there, looked over by our brain, the amygdala, which is the uh, alarm system. If it sees anything or senses anything, the, the amygdala will sound the alarm. It sends the message to, a, the, to the hippocampus, which then shoots out messages to the adrenal gland, uh, sends messages out to the penal gland, it sends messages to a number of different glands that then secrete hormones. In the, this is like a big drug cocktail going into the system all at once. People with PTSD have very, very personal, profound experiences. And these triggers can usually be identified because they are unique. They, they, they ring the bell, you might say. They, they are that little nerve that gets pushed and suddenly your, your body's reacting to that nerve cell and just taking over. So that's what a trigger is. It's what a trigger does. It takes over before a rational thought can even come up. The amygdala has done its job. It's, it's notified all of these different areas of the brain and they are shooting out their chemistry inside of you because it is a life or death situation. It's a fight or flight situation. Now I've been able to, over the years, study my own triggers and I noticed that there is there's a process involved. It, I just don't suddenly blow up. There's, it starts for me, the very first thing that happens for me is I'm minding my own business, I'm doodling away, I'm whittling away, I'm just whatever I'm doing. And then suddenly, without any warning, I am confronted with something, a, con a conflict that I had no idea where or how that even came about. So I'm confused. The first experience for me is a profound state of confusion. And while I'm confused, there's a chemical rush of adrenaline, cortisol, norepinephrine. My anxiety goes sky high. And now I am locked in on the object that has created the confusion in my world. That is the first step, but that's the anxiety. That is like stepping on the landmine, and it, it blows up. But what happens, it doesn't blow up quickly. It blows up slowly. So there's a frantic effort, because the anxiety is so high, a frantic effort to resolve the misunderstanding, resolve the confusion, get out of this state of profound confusion. Confirm for me, please, did I see and hear what I thought I saw and heard, if that is not met, if that confusion is not resolved, the adrenaline, the cortisol, the norepinephrine continues to be shot into my brain. And I become even more, I become, start becoming outraged. I become an outraged 60-year-old little boy. My entire focus is out there, is on that object, generally the woman I love. <laughs> and I'm seeking a resolution with that person, but I am so scary to deal with, and I am over the top in terms of control. I won't let her speak because my brain is overactive. 
She just wants to get away. The sheer act of getting away, wanting to get away, I can see in her face. And that makes me even more anxious. The threat, remember the threat for me is abandonment. That makes me more anxious. And the more anxious I become, the more she wants to get away from me. It's a, it's, it's a not a good scenario. Well, eventually I, I lose because she eventually absolutely gets away. And I'm left there alone. Even though I'm alone, I'm still going on and on and on. This is the, the effect of that cocktail, that uh, chemical cocktail that has been injected inside of me. I go on and on and on and on. I'm still confused. There's no solution. More anxiety. I ruminate, I ruminate, I ruminate. I relive the whole experience a dozen times. Frustration becomes outrage. At this point, I become a really pissed off six-year-old boy with a big mouth and a big, very educated and experienced brain. It's no contest. I, I, no one can defeat me under those conditions. The six-year-old in me is outraged by the abandonment, which is the replay of the scenario with my mother. He is inconsolable. He is pleading to be heard. He is desperate to be understood. He is horrified that he has been abandoned again. He does and says everything he can think of to re-engage, connect, because now it feels like a matter of life and death. This is a six-year-old in the, in the body, in the mind of a grown man who's feeling those feelings of that six-year-old all over again. Imagine how much fear and anxiety a six-year-old would have watching their mother rant and rave, accusing him of lying and demanding he never, ever say anything about the abuse. Forever. This was the point that broke the camel's back. This is when I disappeared into the Cleaver family. This is when I packed my bags and left the Erickson clan. Bottom line is, when I'm triggered, I, I fall into the drama of that six-year-old boy. I become that boy in a mental and emotional way with a great big brain that's highly educated with lots of experience. And that takes a lot of energy. And how do I stop once I am triggered? Well, it's really, really hard to do. In the perfect world, my partner would, would understand what's going on and, and reach out and hear my perspective about what's going on and listen to me and take care of it. Take care of the response and be loving and caring and attentive. That's what a six-year-old needs. But I'm attracted to women who are emotionally absent, emotionally muted. They can look and act normal, but when it comes to intimate relationships, oh, they can have sex too. That's, sex is not a problem. But when it comes to intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, that scares the daylights out of them. And this is who I end up being with. So the very thing that I need at those moments 
is uh, someone to be nurturing. And that hasn't, that doesn't happen. They try to get away. It's scary for them. But the getting away is, is uh, like throwing gasoline on it. So, I don't know. So this is one reason why we are where we are on, on my own. And there's an awful, awful lot of pain and, and remorse. When I first started getting triggered back in the uh, early 90s, it takes like five or six years for these behaviors to kind of come out in a relationship, which is interesting uh, that that's about the same time that uh, these events happened to me in my life. So once we get the relationship is six years old, look out. <laughs> so anyway, we didn't know what was going on. We had no idea what was going on. I, I, I went to psychiatrists. I went to therapy. We went to couples therapy, but nothing. We didn't know what to do about it. We didn't know the dynamic. We didn't know I had PTSD. So the, the, that resulted in the, the relationship ending. So these are the, there's a lot of pain and regret related to these triggers. And I'm sure that's true for, for any of you who have PTSD and see PTSD and you've been triggered and, and the damage that you've caused over time is over, almost overwhelmingly painful to, to try and, and feel and process. So there's a lot of pain and regret following a trigger. And I am personally, I'm, I, I am filled with shame and, and guilt. Less so now because I understand where the triggers are coming from. Ah, man, self-hatred. I was just really down on myself. How could I do this? I feel terrible. I spent days being depressed after a trigger. And during that time, I'd just ruminate, ruminate, ruminate. I wouldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I, and I lost all interest in everything. And if it was really, really bad, suicidal thoughts would come up. And if it was really, really, really bad, then, then I'd start making a plan. But I never got very far with that. And I consider myself fortunate in that regard. But because for some people with PTSD, they can't stop at the ideation stage. They, they move forward into action. They attempt to take, take their own life. And for others, they, uh, the, the attempt at suicide is successful. You don't have to look very far, look for it, but uh, it's certainly in the military that there's a great deal of attempted suicides and, and an incredible amount of, of successful suicides in the military. I don't know what the numbers are right now, but if you're interested, you can certainly Google that. I'm sure the information's out there. So after a few days, you know, life kind of returns to, to normal and we make amends. And life kind of returns to uh, status quo, which for me ultimately is, is not satisfying because of the attraction to the emotionally unavailable partner. And so the cycle just simply begins again until, like many cycles, you are back at that point again where you are, are being triggered. And there you go. What can you do? Well, 
you can do a lot of things, whether you are the person with PTSD or you care about someone with PTSD. The first and most important thing to do is to educate yourself. Learn everything you can about PTSD. Become your own best expert on your PTSD. Not everybody is interested or motivated to meditate, but meditation has helped me in a number of ways. I also am fortunate enough to have some attention deficit disorder, and meditation helps me to oh, take some of that energy out of my brain. PTSD or not, it's good to be active, but people with PTSD have a tendency not to be active mainly because of the, the anxiety load and the, and the depression that is always right around the corner. Um, I encourage you to develop multiple interests. I have a lot of interests, but PTSD can also eat away at your interest in your interests. I really encourage you to be kind to yourself. Treat your body right. Don't abuse drugs, alcohol. Now, I... I, I personally uh, uh, favor marijuana, cannabis. I'll have an I'll have a episode on cannabis as well. But one of the things that you can do is take responsibility for your triggers. I, this sounds ridiculous because when you're triggered, you're not responsible at all. You're the victim, and you're wanting that person, or that thing, or that place to be different to not do what they're doing. But that's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. So ultimately, you have to take responsibility for how you respond to these moments where you are triggered. I encourage you to learn breathing technique. You don't have to get technical or tricky with it. You just have to slow your breathing down. If you need activity, you like to dance, go dancing, go for a walk. Another thing that's really important to do is learn how to be a, a good listener. Not just listening to yourself, because most of the time people with PTSD don't hear themselves. Uh, and they don't hear how ridiculous they sound. Because they're focused again outside of themselves, particularly during a trigger. But learning how to be an active listener, Google that, active listener. Work on trusting yourself more. Yeah. I'm still doing that. I, I don't trust myself in a lot of areas. At this point, I don't trust myself to pick an appropriate partner. I pick wonderful people, but they just there's one element of the relationship that leaves me yearning. I would tell people all the time in my clinical sessions with them, uh, uh, or if I'm giving a, a talk in the community, that happy people set limits for themselves and they maintain good boundaries. Uh, I'm going to have another episode on just on limits and boundaries. There's so much to talk about in that area. Also, you can learn about cognitive behavioral techniques. Cognitive behavioral techniques can uh, address the cognitive distortions that happen uh, while you are in a triggered state, and maybe even before the triggered state that it takes a distorted cognition in order to alert the amygdala. The amygdala has to believe that there is a problem. More than likely, there isn't a problem. But 
something became distorted. It told the amygdala, and the amygdala, like a good gossip, tells everybody. Practice gratitude. I need to do that more. I do it maybe in little ways, but I think maybe do it a concrete gratitude journal would be helpful. Give yourself time outs. Pay attention to your body. Are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? Then stop. So whatever it is, whatever you feel, if it's overwhelming, if you cannot step back, that's a signal to you to step back. Because you had to bring these below the conscious level experiences that you are having but are not aware of to the surface of your awareness in order to do anything about them. If you don't know they're going on, then you can't really do much about it. Take a nap. I'm a big fan of naps. Oftentimes I don't sleep, I just lie there, but just lying down, taking the load off the body feels good and my mind relaxes. Take a time out. Take your own time out. People with PTSD want to just go on and on and on and on ad nauseum. Ask any of the women that I've been in a long-term relationship. I go on and on and on. They call that perseveration. I perseverate on the problem. It's not pretty either. Calm down. Do whatever you need to do to calm that nervous system down. I will smoke some pot. Of course, I'm always smoking pot, but smoking pot helps me. I used to think alcohol helped me too, but in uh, February, I quit drinking alcohol. And I quit drinking not because I didn't like it. I didn't like the effect that alcohol was having on me. I didn't like the fact that I'd get, I drank to get drunk, and when I got drunk, it took me two days to recover from that drunk day. Also, I began to uh, drink to blackout. So it seemed to me like the last couple, three times that I drank with other people, I drank to excess and blacked out. That is, a, um, that is a serious problem. I decided that blackout drinking was just not a good look, not going to do it, so I stopped drinking. I thought I would have some problems, but I haven't. I'm not even the least bit interested in, in alcohol. I, sometimes I think, wow, a glass of wine would be nice. I used to love the rum, but the rum was the, the blackout part. That was the, when we hit the rum, that, it was downhill from there to blackout. I loved alcohol, but my body didn't, it didn't seem to get along well with my body. Another reason you don't want to really drink alcohol if you have PTSD, you can if you want, but I don't think it's going to help. Alcohol itself is a central nervous system depressant. It literally depresses your central nervous system. That's why at some point in time it becomes difficult to talk and difficult to walk. 
your central nervous system is depressed to the point where it is just not able to to animate you from one point to another point. And if you are on any psychotropic medication, antidepressants, anti-anxieties, alcohol, and these medications are a bad idea. You may already know that too, because the result of that kind of stuff is bad. Is bad. Alcohol doesn't go with these things. Alcohol is a depressant. Why are you taking alcohol when you're on antidepressants? What's, there's a cognitive distortion right there. We end up with, with addictions. We end up alcoholic. We end up with broken bodies, sleep disturbances, and probably organ damage of some sort. So not a good idea. But I'm not saying don't, you know, it's your life, you got to do what you got to do. This is what I've needed to do. Let me share a little bit about why I use marijuana, and always have from the moment I was introduced to it. Can't explain that strange attraction, but I did notice over the years that everybody I knew liked to smoke marijuana, and they were a lot like me. I hung out with people like me, of course, and they all liked marijuana. I was thinking it was ADD, but all the people hung out also had a history of, of being abused, either physically or sexually or, or, or mentally. So that may have been driving it also. Their PTSD may be driving them towards the use of marijuana. So I don't know what it is about the substance, but I know that I have liked it from day one. Thank you, Joe. It keeps my mind open. Marijuana keeps my mind open. I don't get closed-minded. I'm always open to new things. It makes me almost too flexible at times. Oddly enough, it helps me with concentration. And my concentration is limited, but there is a feature of ADD they call hyper-focus. And once I get started on a hyper-focus situation, I can go for a long time. Don't interrupt me because my, it could trigger me, actually. <laughs> I meditate better on cannabis. It brightens my day. It enhances my creative and critical thinking. That's what it does for me. It's always done that for me. It opens the door to self-reflection and my self-development and what I can learn about who I am, where I'm going, and what, what am I all about. It enhances intimate connections Maybe not so much now uh, with the COVID uh, thing going around. It's kind of put a real damper on sharing that joint. It improves intimacy in relationships. It just does. It makes feel. It makes. It helps people to reduce their fears, to to lower their their boundaries, and let another human being in. Do I need to say anything else? This is just what it is for me. It doesn't have to be that for you. And I'm not recommending it. I'm not recommending it at all. This is, this is you do what you want to do. If you use marijuana and you find it useful, that's fantastic. But if you don't, don't do it because of me. <laughs> I don't want to have that come back on me, okay? So I guess this will wrap it up. We'll stop on that. Please Thank you again for, for coming and listening to this. And as always, I want your feedback. Please tell me what you think about this podcast. 
And do me a little favor and, and pass it along. Tell your friends. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Twitter. Share it with uh, your friends and family, your co-workers, okay? That's it for today, and I will talk to you soon.